Good morning. <laughs> I'm Pastor Dan, for those that don't know, don't know me. The title of this morning of my sermon is The First and the Last Sacrifice. I've been living in the Old Testament, it seems, the last few sermons. So this one is also in Genesis, chapter 3, verses 6 to 24. I have it in the New American Standard. There is no outline in your insert because I think the sermon is relatively simple. And I think it's easy to follow. But I do want you to use the text. This way we can all be using the same words, the same understanding, because I know there's a lot of translations out there. But for now, let us look to God for his anointing, both in my speaking and in your your listening. So, Father, this morning, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts Be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen? A true story is told of a banquet where a famous religious leader found himself seated next to an extremely beautiful woman. And she was wearing a gown with a perilously low neckline. He introduced himself to her and he said, as he offered her an apple. And she was a little surprised, but he explained with a smile. He said, please, please do take it, madam. It was only after Eve ate the apple that she became aware of how little she had. (laughs) On. (laughs) Someone asked me recently, why was it that after Adam and Eve ate the fruit, the first thing they noticed was that they were naked? Weren't they always naked? Yes. But before they ate of the tree, they didn't think about it. They were innocent. They, their hearts were pure. You know, Genesis 2.25, it says, the man and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. And you know, to illustrate, have you ever noticed little children in the summer? Sometimes they strip off all their clothes and swim and run naked across the, the yard. Have you ever seen that? They're not worried about being naked. They have no shame. Why? Two-year-olds don't see any difference between their face, their knees, and parts of their body which we adults insist that they cover up. Only adults feel that certain parts of the body must be covered because those parts are connected to lust and passions. And you see, before Adam and Eve ate of the fruit... Their hearts were pure. Their nakedness was innocent and in no way sinful. They saw no difference between a hand whose purpose was to do good deeds, a mouth whose purpose was to praise God and say kind words to others, and the parts of the body which were used to be fruitful and multiply. With every organ they could fulfill the will of God, so no organ was shameful, nor did anything need to be covered. But once they ate of the fruit, that all changed. Their hearts were now tainted with sinful thoughts that they had never considered before. In Matthew fifteen nineteen, Jesus said, Out of the heart comes evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, slander. You see, there were no evil thoughts inside them until they ate of the fruit. But after they had eaten, the knowledge they gained 
shamed them. Worse than that, their newfound knowledge separated them from God. You know, the final punishment of God upon Adam and Eve was for them to leave his presence. Our text, Genesis 3.24 states, So he drove the man out, and at the east of the Garden of Eden, he stationed the cherubim and the flaming sword which turned every direction to guard the way to the tree of life. God kicked them out. He evicted them from their home. But God didn't completely turn his back on them. Before God sent them away, he gave them a special gift. In our text, Genesis 3.21 states, The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. Now, this is interesting for several reasons. First, Adam and Eve already had clothes. What kind of clothes had Adam and Eve made for themselves? Well, our text, Genesis 3-7, tells us, Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loin coverings. You know, I've seen a lot of different kinds of leaves of various shapes and sizes, but I've yet to see any leaf that I would feel very comfortable Wearing out in public. <laughs> and apparently, these leaves didn't do much more for Adam and Eve. When God comes walking in the garden, they hide themselves. And when God calls out and asks Adam, Where are you? Adam replies, verse 10, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid myself. Think about that. Up until that moment, they thought their fig leaves were doing the job. But suddenly the leaves leave them feeling naked. When? When did Adam realize his fig leaves were not doing the job? When God came visiting. It was when Adam found himself in God's presence that he began to realize his man-made coverings were not enough. Nakedness has been the symbol of our sinfulness ever since the garden. Whenever a person's sins are discovered, we say they have been exposed. And Jesus warns us not to be found naked and exposed when he comes again. He says in Revelation 16, 15, Behold, I come like a thief. Blessed is he who stays awake and keeps his clothes with him so that he may not go naked and be shamefully exposed. Now, people understand that reality. They know their own nakedness. They know their own sin, their own shame, personally. They may be living their lives in whatever fashion they do, working out in the garden, doing something in the house, or working down at the office or the factory, and suddenly it hits them out of the blue. A thought will overwhelm them, reminding them of something they said, did, or thought in the past that brings a sudden wave of shame into their lives. That's all of us. Because all of us have thoughts that would shame hell. People know their own nakedness. They just don't want you knowing about it. And so they try to cover the nakedness. I got to thinking about how many, how do people hide that nakedness? I came up with at least three different ways that people do this. And it occurred to me first, they try comparing their nakedness to someone else's. Kind of like Adam did. My fig covers up more of my nakedness than yours does. 
Secondly, or they, they'll try hanging out with the right people, going to church, belonging to a church. I've seen pagans who have become elders, deacons, Sunday school teachers. So they try to cover their nakedness with all kinds of religious activities. And then third, there are others who will skip the religious clothing and just try to get by on their good deeds. You know, some time back, I remember a famous billionaire who had just made a generous donation to a charity. He was joking that he had heard that you couldn't buy your way into heaven, but he assumed that his present donation was a good down payment on a place there. Now, what's interesting about all these folks is that they do everything they can to avoid getting too close to God. Because if they get close to God, their nakedness becomes obvious. You know, this past week, past two weeks, as I was preparing this sermon, I asked myself, how would I know if I'm one of those people? How would I know if I'm the one who's trying to get by covering my sin? How do I know if I'm the one trying to avoid God so my sins don't get exposed? Well, you see, I'm as prone as the next guy to deceive myself into thinking I've got my sins covered. So what, how would I know if I have fooled myself? Well, look and observe The most obvious folks are the ones who say, I don't need to go to church to be a Christian. It's not important to them to be where God is or where God wants them. Those folks don't love Jesus. They think they're good enough as they are. Their fig leaves are just fine. Thank you. But the harder ones to spot are the ones who go to church regularly. They're highly religious. They're regulars at worship. They may even hold positions of prominence in the congregation. In fact, they had a counterpart in the religious community of Jesus' day. Do you remember who these highly religious folks were? Pharisees. Jesus told us a parable to help us understand how naked these guys were. Luke 18, 10 to 14 states, listen, familiar parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray. One a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood up and prayed about himself. God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Amen? The Pharisee stood before God and essentially told God how lucky he was to have him, the Pharisee, in his church. He reminded God how far better he was than the other robbers and the evildoers and the adulterers, even this tax collector. Then just in case God missed his point, the Pharisee reminded God of his righteous deed, why he fasted twice a week and gave a tithe of everything he made. Yes, sir. God was mighty lucky to have him. 
His fig leaves were properly in place. Meanwhile, the tax collector was standing before God. He didn't even feel worthy to raise his eyes to heaven. He didn't have anything to brag about. He didn't come to praise himself, but to seek God's mercy. He realized in God's presence he was as naked as a jaybird, and it was he, not God, who was lucky to be there. That's the man we want to be like. For example, we know we have acknowledged our nakedness when we begin to view church as a privilege. When we think about how lucky we are that God not only lets us come to church, but lets us live. And when we realize how honored we are to have received his love and mercy, and we think about that every day, that's how we know we're not one of those people who try to hide behind their fig leaves. Because in being like the tax collector, we realize that our fig leaves are worth nothing. And so the first intriguing thing about the story of Adam and Eve was that they already had clothes. They just weren't very good clothes because they were man-made. The second thing that was intriguing here is that God supplied their clothing. He gave them clothes that he had made for them. God did it all. They did nothing. All they did was put the clothes on. What's intriguing was the kind of clothing God supplied. What kind of garments were these that God gave them? Animal skins. Our text, Genesis 3.21 says, The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. Garments of skin. Now, where would God get garments of skin from? From an animal. And how do you get skin off an animal? It's got to die. When God killed these animals to cover Adam and Eve's nakedness, this was the beginning of animal sacrifices. Animal sacrifices were made throughout the Old Testament to pay for sin. You see, the law of Moses repeatedly taught the Israelites that every sin that they committed was punishable by death. But since everybody sinned, God allowed them to pay for their sins by offering up in sacrifice a pure and spotless animal in their place. Hebrews 9.22 tells us, The law requires that nearly everything be cleansed with blood, and without the shedding of blood there is no forgiveness. Leviticus 17.11 taught us, The life of a creature is in, its, in the blood, and I have given it to you to make atonement for yourselves on the altar. It is the blood that makes atonement for one's life. Listen. In order for God to give mankind forgiveness... Something had to die. But why would God have an animal die for Adam and Eve? Well, the book of Genesis makes it clear that God created the animals for them. How many of you have pets? How many of you like those pets? I want you to imagine Adam and Eve in the garden. Imagine being down by a stream and having fish, nibbling, unafraid on your toes because they want to play with you. Or sitting beside a tree with a lion or a leopard resting its massive head on your lap, wanting you to stroke it for comfort. 
These animals were Adam and Eve's constant companions. They were like pets to the first couple. All animals in the garden were gentle and loving and loved by Adam and Eve. And one of these gentle companions had to die to cover their nakedness. And so throughout the Old Testament, God drove home the point how terrible sin was. And every time a child of God sinned, they were required to offer up a blood sacrifice. And in the days of the tabernacle, you would see people lined up at the gate with their sacrifices ready to offer the things for the things that they had done. Day after day after day, sacrifices were offered to God. And these sacrifices cost the life and the blood of an innocent animal to pay for their sins price had to be paid, and blood was the dearest price that could be paid. And lastly, the animals that God used to make Adam and Eve's garments were the first deaths on earth. Nothing else ever died before this. And these creatures died at God's hands. They were literally the first sacrifices ever made in man's history. Now, it's been rightly noted that God made the first and the last sacrifice for man's sins. Here in the Garden of Eden, God sacrificed the first innocent animal to cover sin. And it was on Mount Calvary that God made the last sacrifice of his sinless son to cover our sin. In the Garden, God supplied Adam and Eve with garments. And on Mount Carmel, Calvary, he supplied us with our garments. His gift to them involved the death of an innocent animal. His gift to us involved the death of his son, pure and spotless offering to cover our nakedness. See, Genesis tells us that God sacrificed those first animals to actually cover man's nakedness. But how does God cover our nakedness in the sacrifice of Christ? The answer is found in Galatians 3.27. That states, For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. When we were buried in the waters of baptism, we were literally wrapped in Jesus. His righteousness covers us like a garment, and of course, that was the genius of God's design. For when we go down into the waters of baptism, we are literally wrapped in the waters, enveloped as in a garment. But the garment we receive through Jesus Christ was far better than the garments that Adam and Eve were given. You see, their garments would eventually wear out. Their garments would eventually be torn and stained. And their garments would eventually ultimately become shabby and not worth using. And worse than that, the garments that God made for Adam and Eve would never allow them back into God's presence. And no matter how long they wore them, they would never be allowed to re-enter the beautiful garden that God had prepared as their home. But when you and I put on Jesus, that's all changed. Hebrews 10, 14 to 23. Listen. By one sacrifice, Jesus has made perfect forever those who who are being made holy. Their sins and lawless acts I will remember no more. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, opened for us through the curtain, that is, his body, 
And since we have the great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. Amen. So unlike Adam and Eve, the, the garment that Jesus supplied us with gives us the privilege of boldly coming into the presence of God and enjoying his love and his compassion on a very personal level. Let's close with one last thought. Did Adam and Eve deserve the garments God made for them? Of course not. And in the same way, we don't deserve the garments that cover our sins. Amen? Now let us go forth and anticipate this next week the birth of Jesus. The sacrificial lamb God sent and prepared for us. It starts with joy and his appearing as a child and ending on a cross as a rejected God-man. Sorrowful. So let us praise and worship the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, for there is only one true God. Remember, God was and is offended by sin. God paid the price. God restored his children. You know, this past week, one of my granddaughters was looking in on where I was studying, and right in front of my desk I have this cross with Jesus hanging on it. And she says, why do you have a Catholic symbol? <laughs> Catholic? <laughs> I said, well, Protestants have generally, well, she said, Protestants have an empty cross. I said, yes, because this, too, show the complete picture. Jesus on the cross displays his sacrifice The empty cross displays God's acceptance of the sacrifice, the resurrection. Display them both. They tell the whole story. Amen? Amen. See you next week.